Right, rather annoyingly, I've just messed this up and I'm going to have to record it all again. Ugh, so annoying when that happens. Never mind. So, Paul Scott here for part two of my weekend podcast. It's the 15th of April. I'm here in Gozo, a little island just off the coast of Malta. I'm here for a month for the whole of April. Get really cheap deals on Airbnb, as I've mentioned before. So it's nice to walk work somewhere, just have a, a change of scene. It's not particularly warm here. It's about 16, 17 degrees and a bit overcast. Never mind. Right, launching straight into the macro news and views. So... Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so markets have felt a bit better the last couple of weeks, haven't they? Uh, I see with AIM, it hit, it hit a low on March 28th, and we've since, in the fortnight following, had a bounce of 4.3%. Uh, the FTSE 100 has performed best. That's actually looking quite healthy now. That hit a, a low on March the 17th. Uh, mid-caps are recovering quite nicely in the last week or two. Uh, small caps are still a laggard, but AIM 100 has actually now come back from being negative year-to-date um, to actually very slightly up year-to-date. So things are looking a bit better, and the, the kind of general subjective feel of the market, I think, has been uh, definitely starting to improve in the last, uh, particularly in the last week. It's felt, I wouldn't say buoyant, but there have been some nice rebounds in a lot of small caps, and it doesn't take a lot of volume to get some of these, these things up. Uh, quite significant amounts because, of course, the market makers generally run neutral books. Um, so, yeah, in a small illiquid share, even something with a market cap of about 100 million, you can get 10, 20, even 30% bounces, which is quite uh, interesting, isn't it? So, if you're sitting there waiting for a definitive low and then you want to buy back in, particularly in any sort of decent size, you might struggle. Actually, I think the time to buy is when there are willing sellers and the price is falling. Um, it doesn't matter. Liquidity doesn't matter so much if you're or at all actually if you're looking at large and mid caps. But you do have to think about liquidity in small and micro caps. It may not be there when you want to buy. Right, I've got loads of things on my pad that I just jotted down this week as the week went on. Interesting points. So an IMF report that you've probably seen says that uh, predicting a return to low interest rates. Now that I think is very interesting. Because if, I mean, you know, IMF reports, I don't think anybody really takes them seriously because they've got such a bad, like all forecasters, they've got such a bad track record. They, don't, they have got no idea what's actually going to happen, um, like all people who try and predict these things. But, you know, something that sounds erudite and is told with conviction um, is all you need to be a, a talking head on on television I think and nobody actually checks back, this is what the book Super Forecasting said, it's a brilliant book it says you've got all these talking heads on telly who've been doing this for donkey's years who get everything wrong but nobody ever actually challenges them on what they said in the past and why it was completely wrong. So um, that's why I never make predictions, <laughs> because they're bound to be wrong, aren't they? You end up looking a numpty. So um, anyway, but I think that is interesting, because if the IMF are right on this occasion and then interest rates do uh, go back down, then that could be very interesting, couldn't it? Uh, because, of course, lower interest rates would be excellent for asset prices. And it could well take that wall of money that's moved out of equities into fixed interests and cash deposits, could start coming back into equities. So I think that is... Uh, and it sounds it sounds sensible to me that interest rates might be at or near a peak and, and should fall once in, inflation is back down to 2% or less, which logically it should be. Um, 
and all, all because raw materials prices are dropping, everything's dropping in price now, isn't it? Apart from wages, basically. So all the big inflationary factors we're now looping on a twelve-month basis and are dropping out of the figures. Energy prices are now very much cheaper, very much lower. So when that feeds through into bills, you know, there are lots of reasons to think that inflation is going to rapidly fall, and I think that could be very good for. Um, for uh, company profits and the the PE ratios could go back up again. So there's a lot of reasons, I think, at the moment to actually be quite quietly uh, optimistic. Now, Graham made a very good point on a linked item. Um, This is when he was covering Hilton Food Group, HFG. He said that, now, this is quite a highly indebted group, and I think we need to be very careful about investing in highly indebted companies. I'm really wary of those because now interest rates are 4 or 5% plus a lending margin. Banks are not going to be um, relaxed about companies breaching covenants. And, you know, and Graham made the point that the interest cover covenant is now becoming relevant again. For 14, 15 years in zero interest rates, interest cover covenants didn't matter because, it, you know, you, you had probably 25 times cover of the interest charge well now the interest charge is so much higher that interest cover covenant could come into will well will come into uh, focus again so you need to start checking those again whereas i've only tended to check the um what do you call it you know the multiple of ebitda that net debt is um that's the key covenant but the interest cover covenant needs to come into focus as well from now on really now we've got higher interest rates i've also asked how many companies are now regretting debt fueled acquisitions i bet quite a few are certainly i think revolution bars rbg which i hold uh, i've mentioned before i thought it was crazy that they acquired peach pubs entirely using debt uh, and got themselves straight back into um, uh, you know a wobbly position with debt having done two placings and traded through the pandemic and so on to sort out an overly indebted position they've gone straight back into making the same mistake again absolutely crazy then i also looked at 888 holdings on friday which similar but on a much much bigger scale did an absolutely crazy debt fueled acquisition of william hill uh, and has gone from you know being quite well financed to having a, a balance sheet that's now negative two billion net tangible assets negative this is 888 holdings um 1.7 billion net debt it's in a, to think that management did that only a few months ago what the hell were they thinking of well they weren't thinking this is the whole problem it's now a distressed debt situation so i think you've got some i mean they should be struck off from being directors i think people who did that deal uh, it reminds me of cineworld again steamed straight into the iceberg at 100 miles an hour um, with with ludicrous debt fueled acquisitions at Cineworld, which has ended up wiping out the equity. Okay, so debt, yeah, really, really is front and centre. We've got to be so careful about um, the, these companies that are overly geared. Now, now the interest rates are actually costing them a lot of money. It is an interesting one for you. Apparently, twenty five Chinese car makers are about to start selling electric vehicles in the UK and Europe. 25 manufacturers from China. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, So I don't know what that's going to do to the European um, automotive sector, but um, who knows? It looks like a seismic change to me. 
These are all just random, these points. There's no structure to this as usual. Softer data in the US, I'm told, uh, has been happening, and uh, commentators and so on are now talking about a possible mild recession in the US, which is obviously not good for earnings generally, but could be good for stock markets because, of course, you know, you then don't have to, if you've got a, a slowing economy and inflation coming right down, which it is coming down quite fast in the US, you don't need to then have high interest rates. So you can bring interest rates down, the Fed can, and that's, of course, good for equities. It pulls money into equities from fixed interest and uh, cash deposits, as I mentioned before. So it's interesting, isn't it, how all these factors interact? And quite often it's counterintuitive what actually happens. Now, um, UK domestic mortgages. Now, a company called LINV, is that Lend Invest? Uh, Graham looked at it. Now, their outlook comments were very interesting about the general property market in the UK. And it confirms something that I've been suggesting for a while that I thought people would switch from tracker mortgage, uh, sorry, would switch from fixed rate mortgages towards discounted tracker mortgages. Because that's when you look at, uh, you know, compares the market.com or whatever with those lovely adorable meerkats uh, you see you see the, the the deals it obviously I think if you're prepared to take on the risk of having a, a variable rate mortgage these discounted tracker rates mean that you can get uh, very very competitive deals and actually the fixed rate mortgages are pretty good by the way if you think there's a nice chirruping bird in the background sadly it's not it's actually the pipes yeah, there's an air vent just to my right there, and there's obviously something mechanical in there that just keeps wobbling and making a chirruping noise. So, yes, yes, birds would be nicer, wouldn't it? But never mind. So that's good to see confirmation from LINV that actually uh, people are still buying properties and they're just going for, for, for discounted rates rather than fixed rates, or, or there's been some shift in that direction anyway. Um I saw you can. I checked again last night on Money Supermarket, and you can get, uh, I think, three point nine nine percent five year fixed. Well, it's not bad, is it? Really? I mean, you know, it's cheaper than in the US. I believe they go for thirty year fixes over there, and it's something like seven percent currently. Um, anyway, now Warren Buffett. Oh, what a legend! Um, there's a two and a half or three hour video of him on CNBC. I listened to about an hour of it last night. Um, as always, classic Warren Buffett stuff. Just I say to anybody who starts investing, because people ask me this, where do you start? I say, well, most of us started by reading Jim Slater's The Zulu Principle. <laughs> I think it's a really good book to give you a sensible starting strategy. Uh, and then you can develop and amend your own strategy as you go along and just read up on Warren Buffett you know that is the world's oldest and most successful investor so why why would you listen to anybody else you know all these people running courses and charging thousands of pounds to teach you about how to make money for how to make gazillions from the stock market <sighs> hardly any of them have got any proven track record so why would you pay them thousands to just regurgitate books and trading that you can buy for about 12 quid or whatever. I think, you know, it's like with anything. If you want to learn about any topic, you just find out who are the most successful people with a verifiable track record and follow them. And they usually say the same sort of thing. It's like Lord Lee, Britain's first ISA millionaire. Uh, I, got, I mean, I know, I know hundreds of probably thousands of highly successful investors who I follow and learn from uh, all the time, really, because you always forget things and you need constant 
doses of uh, uh, um, reminders on things. They're generally not traders. They're people who just identify great management, uh, great business models with good moats, all these basic things, and then they just buy them and they stick with them. They want management with lots of skin in the game. Uh, and most of the rich people I know have probably had about four life-changing investments, things that they've concentrated a lot of money into that have done phenomenally well. And most of them as well are happily to admit that they've had some luck as well. They've just been in the right place at the right time. Uh, and they don't lose money in bear markets, which is my Achilles heel. And generally they don't use gearing, which again is my Achilles heel. So I'm always trying to learn from uh, the most successful people. So Warren Buffett, absolute legend. I think he's brilliant. So what was he saying in this latest three-hour interview with CNBC, which you can watch online? Uh, I got through an hour of it last night. He's becoming, obviously at 93 or whatever it is, he's slowing down a bit, it, 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 becoming a little bit more difficult to follow what he's saying. He's not quite as fluent as he used to be. But for God's sake, you know, to be able to do those things at all and to be still so sharp. And his messaging, you know, his views hasn't changed a bit. Just straightforward common sense cuts through the BS. Now, he's saying there could be more bank failures. That seems to have sort of gone on to the back burner, doesn't it? We haven't had any major blow-ups for a week or two. He said there could be more bank failure, failures, but he says he's not... Well, I'm putting words into his mouth. He, he said depositors won't be hurt, and that's really what matters, because bank runs happen when depositors fear for their deposits. He he doesn't think depositors have to have to worry, which means that, you know problematic institutions may uh, run into trouble but as i've said before the regulators know what to do and so far they've ha they've handled the situation very well i think so worries about banking yes it's going to be in the background and there probably will be more problems warren buffett says but it's not something that should scare us into cash um oh bank of england credit conditions survey now, they're saying that lenders were becoming more risk-averse before the latest banking crisis and that unsecured lending defaults uh, in the UK are on the rise. So things are starting to point towards tightening credit conditions, aren't they? Which actually... But I've not really come across anybody knowledgeable who seems to think it's going to be anything like 2008, where, of course, there was really a mass withdrawal of credit. And funnily enough, that reminded me, I can't remember if I've, t I've told you this before, forgive me if I have, but I remember I, I once had lunch, well, several times actually, I had lunch with Evil Knievel, Simon Corkwell, who's uh, a fascinating character, great fun, and full of uh, interesting uh, ideas and so on. And uh, I, when I lived in Mayfair, I used to like um, popping around to see him and chewing the, chewing the cud and drinking about four bottles of wine with him over lunch and then staggering home <laughs> to pass out afterwards. And uh, I, I remember uh, one of his pearls of wisdoms. This was in about 2006, when financial markets and the whole credit situation generally was really overheating. And... Um, banks and financial organisations were making a lot of money by lending what seemed to be pretty recklessly at the time. And um, I felt very bearish about things. I thought the market's going to crash and I kept shorting and it didn't work. And I said to Simon Corkwell over lunch, I said, look, you know, the trouble is you're predicting gloom and I'm agreeing with it and predicting gloom, but we're missing out on a brilliant bull market. 
And yet you see, he leaned forward to me and stared into my eyes and said, you wait, this was in 2006, he said, you wait till credit is withdrawn. And that was it. And I thought, how interesting. And of course, that's exactly what happened in started to happen in 2007 towards the end and in 2008 happened uh, you know on a on a scale that, that we'd never seen before in living memory credit withdrawn when the banks are frightened and they're desperately trying to scale back their own balance sheets which of course is what happened in 2008 2009 2010 the banks were trying to call in loans to shrink their balance sheets to reduce their own risk and i remember at the time the RNS, the main thing we were worried about in 2008, 2009, 2010 was companies renewing their bank facilities when they came up for renewal. It was quite normal back then, you know, to only get a 12-month extension of the bank facilities because the banks didn't want to lend. They were trying to reduce things. But equally, they didn't want to tip companies into administration because then there'd be a fire sale of the assets and the bank would get, what, probably a 70 or 80% write-off of the debt. But given that interest rates were zero by that stage, the banks were happy to run with uh, zombie companies. Do you remember that term, zombie companies? For years, commentators were saying, oh, it's all going to end in tears, all these zombie companies are going to go under, it's only a matter of time. Well, it didn't happen. The zombie, 14 years of zero interest rates gave those zombies, zombie companies time to restructure, and generally the banks just went with the flow and got their money back uh, you know so it did work out uh, as the um, central banks hoped and planned and all the doomsayers who were going on about moral hazard i've mentioned this before were totally wrong and actually the strategy pursued at the time was correct as it turns out well we're now in a very different situation with interest rates up to four or five percent those banks are going to be looking very closely at things you know and they won't necessarily be rolling uh, over the debt and just saying give them time to restructure and we actually had an example of that this week um, <clears throat> for a company that went into administration called INCE I-N-C-E now this alarmingly really maybe surprisingly, maybe not, was, was a, a sort of um, accountancy and legal firm, quite significant size, that seems to have been extraordinarily ineptly managed for years now. I've been warning people away from this share literally for years in the Small Cap Value Reports. I look back at the archive and I've been saying, look, this thing's probably going to end up going bust. <coughs> um, and it did. Now, the reason it gave for that was it said it was reliant on major creditors, particularly the bank, and it mentioned HMRC as well. And it said, didn't say which one, but it said one of the major creditors refused to continue supporting them. Now, isn't that interesting? They just called time on it and said, we're pulling support, so it has to go into administration and has to be sold and any funds recovered obviously then follow that strict legally set out rule of preferential creditors first secured creditors then unsecured creditors shareholders at the bottom it, what nearly always happens is the money runs out by the time you get to secure, secured creditors and there's nothing left for unsecured creditors and certainly nothing left for shareholders so um and the company itself continues trading under new ownership free of all its debts which you know that's just the way it works but it saves jobs so I think we'll see more situations like that. So your zombie companies don't have indefinite amounts of time anymore to sort out their debt problems because interest rates are now 4 or 5%, plus a lending margin, maybe 10% interest. Zombie companies won't be able to afford to pay the interest, so the bank will just say, well, 
we don't want this debt to snowball, we're pulling the plug. I think you'll see a lot more of that, so be careful with companies that are highly indebted. Right, carrying on then, we had two takeover bids this week for mid-caps, uh, Network International, 1.3 billion, and Decra Pharmaceuticals, I think it was, which was about four, four and a half billion. Oh, they were approaches, I think. I don't know if they were firm bids. I can't remember. But anyway, I, I did write a bit about them in the small cap value reports. Very interesting, isn't it? That it seems to be UK mid caps where the bid interest uh, is mainly and is still there. So, yeah, quite encouraging in a way. Now, on Monday, I covered some macro points where I pointed out all the positive things about uh, sterling having recovered, which make, makes imports cheaper. Huge drop in freight costs, uh, which is a big, big number for a lot of these non-food retailers, you know, uh, importing, you know, vast amounts of thousands and thousands of containers from the Far East. They're going to be say, saving millions in freight costs. So I think this could be quite interesting for your retailers' margins improving, actually. Cheaper energy is going to feed through into much lower bills for a lot of companies. So you could get some nice surprises, I think, this year and next year with higher gross margins, um, lower inflation. But they've pushed through the price rises for customers already. Um, so I'm quietly upbeat actually about profit margins for a lot of those types of businesses i think um there's some very very nice tailwinds now building um which of course you won't hear from the press will you is there any interest in doom and gloom stories uh that's why we don't take much notice of them now here's an interesting snippet for you diageo the drinks group now again all the press are telling us how london's missing out and brexit and blah 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 it's all, all companies are fleeing and going to America. Well, here's a bit of a nice bit of news. Diageo has its shares listed apparently in London, Ireland, France and America. Anyway, it's decided it's too complicated and costly. So they're scaling it back and they're maintaining their primary listing in London and a secondary listing in New York. So I think that's encouraging. Sure, I think a lot of tech businesses are probably likely to list on NASDAQ if they can. I think the I believe the criteria are quite uh, strict over there. I don't know. I've never looked into it. You can Google that. Or chat GPT it, maybe. I was playing around with that this morning. It's fascinating, isn't it? I'm sure other people know, know a lot more about it, but I've got a feeling that artificial intelligence is going to become a key research tool for investors going forward. Um, tell me more about it if you've done more work than I have on it. I've only looked at it briefly. Uh, so I thought that was a nice bit of news. I could see London developing as a kind of medium market for steady value and GARP companies and maybe uh, the exciting high value growth stuff going to New York. Um, Aquis, I think, is intriguing as well. They've been um, That seems to be attracting new listings. Uh, I must listen to the latest webinar from the management of that. Now, Tesco, price deflation is starting to come through. It's pushing its suppliers now to reduce prices. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the food price inflation has been extraordinary, hasn't it? Some of the, Every time I go to the supermarket, I'm amazed at and appalled at some of the price rises of things I buy. Now, I learned some very uh, penny-pinching habits during the two or three periods of my life where I've been completely skint. And, uh, you know, which enriched my life in the long run. I'm not ashamed of it in any way at all. It's good to experience poverty because then you know how uh, awful it is and how difficult and stressful life is. Well, anyway, I'm very, very cautious with my food shopping and I will not buy things unless they're good value. 
So Tesco is pushing its suppliers for price cuts. So I think we're over the worst with food inflation. Now, it mentioned in particular, Tesco mentioned bakery goods, saying it's pushing the suppliers hard for those because wheat costs have come down. Good read across for Greg's question mark I've put on my pad. I can't understand the valuation of Greg's at the moment. It's a lovely business, don't get me wrong. Um, but the valuation looks very, very high. Perhaps investors are ahead of the curve there and anticipating stronger margins and profit growth from lower energy costs and lower food uh, input costs, perhaps. So I think the bulls on Greg's could turn out to be right. Now, what about all the rioting in Paris? Oh, dear, oh, dear. Really? What an overreaction. Raising the pension age from 62 to 64. Well, let's smash the whole place up. Uh, uh, you know, and, and uh, I think they're doing themselves enormous damage. Pictures, videos going around the world of close to anarchy in Paris. And I think they very foolishly stormed the offices of LV's owner, that phenomenally successful luxury goods product. And I think they stormed, the protesters stormed the offices of BlackRock, I believe, as well. I think I saw that on the news. Now, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot big time because Paris is trying to take business away from London, isn't it? If you're a multinational, why on earth would you want to site your business in Paris when you when the place is, uh, you know, seemingly on the brink of... Of of uh, of absolute anarchy. Although, to be honest, the the, the French make a make a, a tradition out of rioting, don't they? But even so, it wouldn't really make you particularly uh, wouldn't make it appeal, would it? If you're an international business looking to to relocate, you'd probably think, Do you know what? Maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's best we stick with London. Although we we had those riots, didn't we, ten or eleven years ago? Uh, so nowhere's perfect, is it? Now, poor old Mary Quant died. What a pity. I don't normally comment on celebrity deaths, but um, it reminded me of a of an incident when I was very little, three, four, five years old, something like that. I went through a phase of cross-dressing, which, of course, these days they probably would have sent me to a clinic and put me on um, hormone tablets. But back then, you know, people just... Uh, I mean, my mother just indulged me. I wanted, a, I wanted a Cindy doll rather than Action Man, so she bought me one. She just sort of indulged me and let me express myself however I wanted to. Uh, my father just sort of quietly disapproved in a chair with the occasional grunt or tutting and saying honestly. So uh, it dawned on me by the time I was about five, I think, that um, dressing up in my mother's clothes and um, shuffling around in high-heeled shoes wasn't really uh, what I was expected to be doing. So I just grew out of it and didn't bother with that anymore. Um, why do I mention that? Oh yes, it's because I remember when Mum took us on a ten-hour, Mum and Dad took us on a ten or twelve-hour rail trip because our car was so clapped out. We had to go from Bournemouth to Aberdeen on the train. I was about three or four or five, maybe. So my mother, who's a, a brilliant hospital teacher, she knew kids inside out. She bought, bought, and bought and wrapped up presents for us to give us every hour on the hour. And the condition was that you only got your present if you were well behaved, and it worked. We behaved impeccably for the whole journey. And I remember one of my presents was a Mary Quant um, pop-up book where there was a, a sort of, you know, you opened it, and it was those cardboard things where you push out the costumes and you could dress up a life-size... Uh, not life-size, what am I talking about? You could dress up a small figurine in Mary Quant miniskirts and wigs and things, and I absolutely loved that. So uh, I've probably overemphasized this, haven't I? Let's move on. So, um, 
cross-dressing, yes, it's just a phase that a lot of children go through. Um, not something to be treated at clinics, I think. Now, my Hargreaves Lansdowne. I've moved my SIP from WH Ireland to Hargreaves Lansdowne. The transfer went quite smoothly, took about a month. Um, I've got this lovely new app on Hargreaves Lansdowne. And I must admit, I'm in danger of tinkering too much with my positions because it's... Uh, only £12 per trade. But anyway, I'm really enjoying having um, the facility to maybe top slice things if I want to, to, to raise some money for something else. I think I mentioned in last week's podcast I've opened small starting size positions in Gear for Music and Eagle Eye. I think that was last week. Well, this week I've opened another starter size position. I've finally gone back into So Sandar, SOS. I've been saying for months that I really want to buy back into this. And I reported on it, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, saying how much I like it. Well, anyway, on Friday I thought, sod it, I'm going to, you know, top slice a couple of other things to raise some cash and I'm going to buy back into So Sandar. So I'm really happy. It feels like coming home, being in So Sandar shares again. Uh, only modest position, but that's fine. I think the international expansion is very good. My star performer, of course, this week's been Port Merion. Um, I flagged up in January, actually, small cap value report, when it was £3.23. I just said, look, this thing's completely the wrong price. It's way too cheap, um, based on its on, on its trading update, not based on hope. You know, it's far too... Okay, it started working again. I might have... Uh, sorry, I've had some technical problems here. I hope I didn't... I did swear a bit, so I hope you didn't record that. Anyway, what were we saying? I moved on from the cross-dressing, didn't I? Oh, yeah, Delarue, D-L-A-R. The chairman has finally resigned after a lot of shareholder activism. You'll never guess his name. Kevin Lusmore. Given that the share price has plummeted, how can somebody have such an appropriate name? Kevin Lusmore. I thought that was hilarious. Now, the reason why Nicola Fulston resigned, or was fired, rather, from Rosenblatt has finally come out. She used the N-word at a dinner. What on earth was she thinking of? Absolutely crazy. To destroy your career on something so stupid. Oh, crazy. OK, I think... Oh, I hate the phrase profitable growth. It doesn't mean anything. Profitable growth... We're looking forward to another year of profitable growth. It doesn't mean profits are going to go up, does it? That's growth in profits. 
Will companies stop using this stupid phrase, profitable growth? All it's saying is we're going to grow and we're going to remain profitable. But profits could collapse and you'd still achieve profitable growth. That's my current bugbear. I don't like that. I think that's covered anything. Apologies if it did record any swearing. It just fr- it just hung up and wasn't responding. So I thought it had crashed and I thought I'd lost the whole thing. So anyway, I can't edit it because I'm away from home. So it'll just have to go up as is. Uh, oh, one final point. Just because markets are recovering and your shares are going up doesn't mean your research is right. <laughs> so I think a strongly rebounding share price, if you know the share's rubbish, it's a good selling opportunity. Right, on that note, I will love you and leave you. And thank you for listening and I'll speak to you next week. Bye!